So I think it's super interesting that, you know, we look at the size of something and, and we make these assumptions. It's probably a little bit similar to the whole, you know, housing market and the status that comes along with the size of your house and what people think when they look at that. I think that that's kind of shifted into this world of tiny living. But in the grand scheme of things, like everybody I've talked to, you know, in the different cultures is, is all doing it for similar reasons. Hey, this is Heath Paget. Welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs. And on today's episode, we're nerding out on the subject of RV life versus van life. Something you've probably heard me talk about on the podcast before is how I don't think I could really do the whole van thing for a long period of time, maybe just for like a weekend or two. But for most people, Living in a van versus living in an RV, it's kind of semantics for 99.9% of people. They could really care less. Our home roles, whether it's in a van or an RV, it's just kind of semantics. But once you get into the RV community or into the van life community, it's kind of, you notice it's two different cultures for the most part. I mean, there's crossover and things like that, but we've made a lot of friends and relationships the past few years of traveling. And I've noticed that there's not a ton of overlap between the two communities, kind of a different mindset and mentality sometimes going into it. And I've talked about that on the podcast. And while most episodes of this show really skew more towards the business and trying to be really practical and share stories of how people have started their business, taking it to be location independent, today's episode skews more towards the RV side of things. We're going to be talking about the difference between RV life and van life. And what brought this up was about six months ago, I was out in Buena Vista, Colorado on a shoot for Winnebago, and uh, we were taking the new Revel, the van 4x4, out to Colorado to do some shooting in the mountains. And I met a girl named Kathleen who has been really heavy into the whole van thing. She's been traveling and living in her van now for a few years, traveling with her dog Peaches. And we had a really interesting conversation around some of these differences between the van life community and the RV community. And I was really fascinated by this because she kind of had, trying to put it nicely, not great interpretation sometimes of people who live in RVs. And it's never great to overgeneralize. And I was totally guilty of the same thing. So we kind of had this respectful back and forth conversation around like, well, this is the perception I have about van life. And this is a perception you have about RV life. And ironically, as you listen to this, we're traveling in a van around New Zealand But the point was, it was just really, really interesting. And if you're more listening to this podcast from the business side of things, this is not going to be as much of a episode that you might relate to. But if you're just interested in kind of understanding the differences between living in a van and living in an RV, this episode is 100% for you. In addition to talking about the differences between RV life and van life, we talk about why Kathleen chose to decide to go full-time traveling in her van and how she's been able to transition her career into full-time content creation and working with brands from the road. Hope you guys enjoy this episode with Kathleen from Tiny House, Tiny Footprint. Kathleen, what's going on? (laughs) Not much, just here in Utah, enjoying the sunshine and excited to chat with you. Is it just going to be you on today or is Peaches going to make like a guest barking (laughs) appearance? I hope she doesn't, although she's been really protective of the van. So you might hear her like making a noise or two, <laughs> but I told her to be on her best behavior. So we'll see. <laughs> we, we got to hang out in Colorado and Buena Vista, which is like one of my new favorite places, by the way. I'd never been there before. Um, I guess like six months ago, we went out and we're helping shoot some 
video stuff for the new 4x4 with Winnebago. And we got to hang out, and that was really cool. And basically, ever since you and I have been trying to, like, coordinate to, like, get on a podcast together. So I'm pretty sure this is, like, the 50th try, but I'm glad that we finally were able to coordinate. Sometimes it's hard. Like, you live in a van. We live in an RV. We're not always around the same type of communities, and, and we're always moving. So I'm glad that we can make it work. Yeah, thanks for being so flexible (laughs) with everything. Totally. So one interesting thing, I kind of just want to dive into this um, because I thought it was interesting, like our mutual good friend Kyle has done, he's traveled into Travado for a while, but there's something interesting, like there's this kind of gap between like people who live in RVs and people who live in vans. And it's kind of funny because in the grand scheme of things, like for somebody that knows nothing about either one, they'd be like, you live in a house on wheels it doesn't matter whether it's a van or an rv but once you kind of get into the community there's like this interesting kind of gap whereas it's like you either live in a van or you live in an rv and sometimes there's a crossover but you and i were just kind of having an interesting conversation we were up in colorado because you were just talking about kind of the differences and the nuances of van life and rv living so i'm kind of just interested what drew you into wanting to do the van thing? And what are some of the differences that you've kind of seen between like the RV community versus the van community? So I'm just kind of interested to have that kind of conversation. Yeah. And it's been interesting for me too, because I think my perspective has shifted a lot over the last few years. But um, yeah, I think that I'm a good person to talk about it because I started in a 1969 uh, Terry travel trailer. It required a, a truck to tow it anywhere. I parked it in one spot for most of the time, so I actually didn't travel around with it. But that was the first tiny house I lived in, and it was around 140 square feet. And going from an apartment that was around 1,000 uh, square feet to 140 square feet was a huge shift. And I did not think that I could jump into a van at the time, especially working a full-time job. So my reason for starting off in the lifestyle was the camper trailer, because once I got in, in stepped inside that, I said, wow, I can do this. Like, this is a lot bigger than it looks on the outside. You can stand up and walk around in here. Um, there's the seating area. We had a bathroom with a composting toilet, a closet that was almost as big as my, my closet in my apartment. So, I mean, it just had everything I needed. It wasn't it, it was a big shift, but it, it didn't feel as scary. But my my work has transitioned, allowing me to be on the road more, do more freelance work. And that's when van life really spoke to me. I didn't think I could do van life in one spot. Now I could, I think. But before, I, you know, van life was really appealing for the aspect of moving around. And I just thought that my camper trailer was a little bit too big for that. I thought that, you know, just to have to tow it and find parking spots and didn't really trust myself driving around and backing up and and things like that. So the van just seemed like a really good Goldilocks size. And also um, the stealth part really appealed to me because my van right now is a 1987 Toyota van. And I don't think a lot of people think I'm living in that van. Uh, There's not a lot of stuff on the outside that would make you think that. And so I, I like being a little bit under the radar. I thought my camper trailer might give me away a little bit more. Also didn't want to rely on hookups and things like that. So that was my personal, like personal reason and journey for, you know, going from a camper trailer to the van. 
And over the years, it's been really interesting because as I transitioned into van life, it's like I almost forgot what it was like to be in a camper. And I got a little bit judgmental. I mean, I, ha- I hate to admit it, but um... I think I think you and I both like had that moment <laughs> where like we were hanging out in Colorado and this would be totally honest. We were like, you've hated on the RV life. I've hated on the van life. So like we can move past that totally. Right. Because I'm about to move into a van for a couple months. <laughs> yeah, but I kind of want to explain why, why I was like that and why, you know, what conversations kind of shifted me away from being like that, because I think there's a lot of people in van life that are feeling the same things that I feel. So I don't want to speak for everybody, but I do want to create a conversation. So for me, one of the things that I noticed was that, you know, I'd be parked somewhere and, you know, someone would pull up with their sprinter that was built out, you know, to have everything that they needed or an RV that had everything they needed. And there were a lot of people that were spending a lot of time inside. This is something that Heath and I talked about that, you know, I think that there there's people that will show up somewhere and this can be no matter if you're in a van or an RV, by the way, but, you know, it seems to stand out more to me in a bigger vehicle, but they'll pull up and, you know, run their generators and, you know, they don't really go out and explore because they have everything they need inside their space. And so I think I was, I would see that and just kind of, I was a little confused why someone would want to live this way and then, you know, to live inside their space instead of live out of it. And also I was thinking, why would you spend so much money on um, something like that when, you know, you can get something that's smaller and cheaper? Yeah. So I would see that and just kind of think to myself, like, why would you spend so much money on, on that kind of vehicle? But then I started to think about also the fact that we're all doing the same thing. And like you said, to an outsider, it's like a lot of people can't even think about moving away from a house to a life on the road. So that's that's a big deal. And the fact that we're all we're all in it together. And yeah, I think that most of our reasoning is the same. We like to travel. We like to be outside. And I also think that it's really interesting how someone can spend $100,000 on a sprinter And a lot of people can be very judgmental for that. But when someone spends $100,000 on a house, we think like, whoa, what a steal. Like that's (laughs) like you got a crazy good price or you're not living very large. And so, you know, to me, it's like if that's your full time house and you're spending $100,000, why does it matter, you know, if you're living, you know, in a in a Sprinter van or an RV or whatever and and if that's your decision, like, why are we, why are we judging these people? And, and I, why can't we come together more, you know? Totally. Um, and I think it's an interesting thing. Cause I was talking to some of our friends, uh, Joe and Kate, and they, they moved into a van after a while they had had a bigger motorhome or whatever. And then they moved into a smaller van and they said, well, what we love now is that we live out of our van. We don't live in it kind of like we did in our motorhome. And, um, and kind of, we went through, I guess, phases two of our travel because we've been on the road now for four years. And so it's like our first year, we had this super old RV that we'd bought for like 11,000 bucks off Craigslist. It kind of looked like it was off Breaking Bad. And I do nothing <laughs> like we were going to do a truck camper. And then I realized we could like buy a motor home for the same actually for cheaper. And so we were like, okay, like, let's let's give this a shot and see what happens. And uh, my original idea was like throw a, like a bed in the back of Alyssa's CRV, but you know, the motorhome seems fun too, like RV road trip. Right. 
and we're like, we're always moving and going to new places. And then like in the past couple of years, we got a bigger rig. We stay places longer. It's very comfortable. Like we're, you know, we're parked at a, a campground for like a month and then we're flying out to go shoot stuff. And it's like a different type of travel. It's less, it was, it's been less adventurous and more like, okay, we're just kind of, we're here. It's easier to be inside and, and things like that, which is a big reason why we're excited to go and, and be a bit more nimble and be a, a bit more adventurous these next six months because we kind of went through these different seasons. So I, I, I totally get what you're, what, what you're saying. We've had a lot of friends that have said the same thing, you know, just like, uh, you know, another group of our friends, they had had like a big class A, even just going down to like an Airstream. They're like, I feel like I'm even more in nature right now because I, I guess it's all like a transition and finding that level of comfort because it's like at one point, like you're in a home and you're stationary uh, and then you go, go even going into like a big bus or like a motor home to travel is like a, a, a step into outside of that comfort zone for some people. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's been really interesting. It's so it's so crazy that we kind of look at the other side and, and make these assumptions, assumptions or judgments on on, you know, why they're doing it and what their reasoning is. And, you know, people think that there's trust Farians out there. Who what is that? People, there's oh, a lot of people that think that if you have trust you know, fund, a, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Like if you have a really expensive rig that, you know, you got that money from your parents and, you know, maybe, maybe they worked for that money. And so I think it's, it's super interesting that, you know, we look at the size of something and, and we make these assumptions. It, it's probably a little bit similar to the whole, you know, housing um, market and the status that comes along with, you know, the size of your house and what people think when they look at that. I think that that's kind of uh, shifted into this world of tiny living. But in the grand scheme of things, like everybody I've talked to, you know, in the different cultures is is all doing it for similar reasons. Um, I think it's pretty cool actually when it's like there's bad weather and your friend has a bigger rig, like say a sprinter and you're able to hang out in there for several hours <laughs> when the weather is bad yeah. and take shelter versus, you know, I could probably only fit maybe three people in my van, <laughs> I mean, like that's, comfortably seated. That's been one cool thing about the rig that we have had now. Cause our whole thing was like, we want workspace. Like Alyssa has an iMac. She's always editing. Not that you couldn't do those things from a smaller space, but you know, we liked it and we, we realized we calculated it in 2017. We didn't go more than two weeks without seeing friends or family on the road. So like people, we constantly were having like groups of people come stay with us. And again, you that can always, fine. you can always <laughs> rationalize doing it in a smaller space, but it's just interesting. Like you said, cause I remember we hit the road and we're like four months into our first uh, year on the traveling and growing up, you know, it's just been in a suburban community and all that good stuff. And then we're, we're in for the first time, we're like outside our comfort zone. We're in this moving vehicle and I, I remember we w went back to visit one of our friends. We stayed at her house up in Michigan and like we went to like a NFL, like they were watching an NFL game that day, the Packers or something. And like we went into their house and I'm just like spreading out on the floor. I'm like, wow, this is, this is luxury living here. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just different by comparison. And one thing I'm kind of curious is like, we've both been advocates for both RV and van living just because it's like. We, I moved into an RV. We made lots of friends. We enjoyed the lifestyle. So it's like I get excited about things I want to talk about. And you've done the same thing. You uh, work with Van Life Diaries for their American ambassador. You have Tiny House, Tiny Footprint. I know that's like hundreds of thousands of people follow you guys on Instagram. So it's like we've both been promoting 
this kind of lifestyle. And now in it's turned into a movement. I'm not saying like I'm responsible for movement or anything like that, but I'm just saying like, it, it really has like become this big thing. I'm just curious, like, do you think that it's a good thing for it to be cool? Like, obviously like we, we should have, we could have thought about these things like, um, <laughs> you know, like, and we, you know, we helped contribute voices to that, but like, do you think that that's a good thing, a bad thing, a neutral thing, or just like a whatever that it's become cool? I guess, how does that affect how you see, you know, van life or RV life and things like that? Yeah, I think that's a great question, um, especially for some of us who, um, you know, have been doing it for a long time. We've definitely seen the growth. One of the ways that I've really seen the growth is through our Van Life Diaries meetup in Colorado. The first year we had about um, 60 different types of rigs show up in National Forest. The next year we had 250. Wow. Um, so, and that doesn't include the number of people that were traveling in those rigs. So it just shows that there's a need for community on the road. There's a, and more and more people are inspired to live this way, which is a really positive thing, I think, because it gets people to go off and see the world, to see these public lands that are so important. And um, it shifts their perspective on what they need. They start asking questions. They start, um, you know, reducing their footprint and what they're consuming and using. They start to get more creative and problem solving. Um, so I think it's a very positive thing. Um, the one thing that I've had to think about a little bit more, and I'm hoping to use my social platform more and more for this is having, um, environmental awareness behind, you know, what we're doing as travelers, we have a big impact and we are going, like I said, to these public spaces that are amazing. Um, so BLM land, national forest, you know, national monuments, um, all these great places. And, um, you know, I think that there just needs to be more education about what we should be doing when we're out there and what we should not be doing. And so, you know, leave no trace principles, which uh, may seem really basic, but are things that, you know, we need to encourage others to follow and especially, you know, talk to people that we're traveling with. And if we see them, you know, not practicing some of those principles to, you know, take them aside and, you know, just tell give, them. Give them a good lecture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's not about scolding or slapping yeah, someone I on gotcha. the wrist. But yeah, for sure. Like, I just think that there's a lot of people that just are uneducated. And, you know, we were all there at one point, or there's things that we're still being educated on. And so I think that, you know, the more and more people that are out there, you know, the bigger the impact. So I think we just need to, you know, rally together what some things we can do to not create such big of an impact, you know, and, you know, just be more educated on public lands in general and what's going on with them. You know, I was just in Escalante, which is in Utah, outside of Bryce and uh, Capitol Reef. It's a beautiful area. It's a national monument. And so there was a lot of things that I I'm still learning and learning about, you know, Escanti in general. And I guess, you know, it's hard to know what the right wording is or what's politically correct. But, you know, there's just areas that are protected as public lands that are, you know, under attack because they, you know, could be taken from us and be used for other purposes, whether that's like drilling or, um, corporate use or whatnot. And so there's a lot of that stuff that's still, 
you know, when you talk about it, you, you immediately get fired up. But I think, you know, one thing we need to do instead of necessarily getting fired up right away is to make sure we know what all of that means so that we can discuss it. And so that we're also not, you know, just on these two separate sides without finding a way to have a conversation or coming to an agreement of any sort. And so that's something I'm particularly working on because I, whenever I see something on social media about, you know, a public land issue, I always immediately just get really, really fired up about it. And then when it comes time to talk about it, I'm like, well, actually, I don't know like how many acres, you know, are going to be taken or I don't know exactly what the purpose is or I don't know, like, is that going to have a big impact? And so, um, you know, I usually come back to the same, (laughs) to the same feeling about being fired up again. But I think, you know, I just have more awareness when I come back to it. I'm able to actually talk about it more. And that is, is a lot better when you're having a conversation or trying to influence other people to, to share the same opinion is to, to have that education. So anyway, that got a little sidetracked, but, but yeah, (laughs) no, it's, I mean, you're, you're always out on these lands. Uh, and so you, you appreciate them and you've been there and you've seen the value that they provide. And, and at one point, like one thing that I always love to do, uh, whenever I'm traveling, like we were in Acadia this year, we did the sunrise up at Acadia, the top of the mountain and stuff. And it's always cool when I go to national parks, I like finding the stands and uh, national lands in general that talk about the group of people who kind of banded together to have the foresight to to make this a national monument, a national park, because it was just a lot of foresight and you know they had to fight people. They had to literally give up what was a lot of money in their day to just donate this property to the public good. And so it again, I don't, I'm very ignorant on what it, on what exactly is all happening right now. And even what are the ways that to, to get involved? We had a couple at our summit who spoke, Case and Madison from Our V, and they were just talking about, you know, like how important our lands are and, and how important our parks are. And everyone is in unison about this. And, uh, but it also kind of leaves some ambiguity around for me. It's like, okay, well, like, what can I do about it? Cause I, I don't, I guess a kind of a personal thing where it's like, I don't want to complain about something unless I can actually take steps to, to alleviate the problem somehow in some way. So it's just also kind of trying to figure out like, well, what can actually be done by it? And I think that's a good thing that has come from so many people following to the van and RV community is that these are the people that, you know, everyone gets to enjoy our parks, no matter if you travel in an RV or van, whatever. Um, but these types of people are here for extended periods of time. And I think you are able to kind of develop a little bit of more of an intimate, more intimate relationship because you spend so much of your time and, and sometimes you're going to lots of parks and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. I think that we're all still pretty confused about exactly what the right thing to do is. Um, and especially a lot of people, like I said, like, you know, social media is a place where we all feel comfortable and we can, you know, hide behind our handle and, and just, say to take action, right. Or say we're fired up and then we feel, we feel pretty good because we did something. But I think that just taking it a step further and the, the first thing, like I said before, is just to like have, have education. So to know the information better about what's going on so you can form your own opinion and not just be swayed by your social media bubble. So form your own opinion. And then through there, there's some great groups um, right now. Um, there's like Public Lands Alliance. There's Parks for All. Um, there's Leave No Trace. There's several groups out there 
Um, there's some conservation groups as well. And so um, I think those would be good groups to consider donating to and also calling your representative, you know, whatever area that you feel passionate about or whatever public land is being threatened and you want to ha- share your voice, um, call your representative, send your representative a letter, um, you know, things like that. But write articles. I think that's always good. Um, actually, Katie Bouet, um, who's an outdoor advocate, who's really great to follow on Instagram. She's really into, you know, talking about things that you can do. And she wrote an article for REI about Bears Ears and Escalante, which had a lot of information in it. So I think, you know, sharing your voice on those platforms to help educate people is just a really great thing. But yeah, it's hard to know what to do, I think. And we all feel a little lost, in, you know, and in what our role is. Um, but yeah, those are some things I would recommend to start. But I, I'm definitely not the, <laughs> the know-all in this on everything. I'm still learning myself. Totally. Well, kind of going back to your story. So you, I know we kind of skipped over your brief life story over the past few years, but you transitioned, like what was kind of the original impetus for you to want to even look at doing an RV, just pricing, uh, like housing was super expensive or? Yeah. So there were a couple factors. The main one uh, for my boyfriend at the time and myself was um, our environmental impact. We just felt like we were living in an apartment in Denver and we were just not being intentional or conscious of, you know, our, our water use, our waste, electricity. You know, we just didn't really feel like we were, you know, playing a role in our lives. Like we were, or like that we were, like that the environment was really playing a role in our, in our lives. And that, you know, we would talk about how we were environmental stewards, but at the end of the day, I just didn't really feel like I was doing that much to help out or reduce my footprint. What was it that originally like spurred you? Had you always been somebody who was kind of thoughtful of the environment? Like, was there something you read or watched that kind of planted that seed that this is something I should be thinking about? Yeah, I think that like a lot of us, you know, in the younger generation, we we say we care about the environment and we do things like recycle or you know, we do a couple things. We're like, Whoa, wow, we we're we're doing a good job. And I, I think those things are great. I, I think that, you know, you can always take it a step further and do more. And I just felt like in an apartment where I had a bill for electricity or water and, you know, some of that, you, you know, you can just churn on the faucet in an apartment and let it run. Right. And you don't really have to think much about, know, how much water you're using. You can run it while you brush your teeth and things like that. And I just wanted to, I wanted to go back to a simpler living where you had to think more about those decisions. And I just also felt like everything that I was doing was connected. You know, I was felt like, you know, the amount of water or electricity and waste that I was producing is, is going to affect everybody else at some point. And I didn't want my legacy to be in all those things. Like I didn't want to like look at those numbers and and be like, wow, like that's, that's what I've contributed. Um, I wanted to step back a little bit and try a little bit more of an off the grid lifestyle. And then coupled with the fact that rent in Denver was pretty high. (laughs) And I mean, rent in a lot of cities is 
is is really high. I mean, it's it's crazy. And there's, you know, people are working their full time jobs just to try to pay rent and then they don't have a lot of money left over. So I, I thought that was like a little bit backwards that, you know, I would go to work and then like after work, I was always escaping to like go outside or go to the park or on the weekends, I was trying to go on a camping trip or whatever. So, I mean, I was literally using my apartment as a place to sleep. <laughs> and then most of the time I was, I was out and about. So it all seemed a little backwards to me. And so that's why the idea of living in a camper trailer was really appealing we ended up buying the camper trailer for eighteen hundred dollars, wow! Um, which was a good deal at the time. Probably, <laughs> probably wasn't worth that much to tell you the truth, but it was a great deal for us at the time. Like this was going to be our house. You know, we would ha- we wouldn't have to pay rent anymore. And so, yeah, after that, things became a little bit crazy. I mean, this is back now, like three or four years ago when. You know, I like to remind people like tiny, tiny living van life stuff wasn't always cool. You know, it wasn't looked at as like, oh, cool, you're doing this new thing. Like, yeah, I saw someone else do it. Uh, When we went to go live in our camper, everyone was like, what? Like, are you okay? Like, are you, you know, are you guys like broke? You know, what's wrong? Why are you doing this? This is weird. Um, We definitely didn't have a huge support system, you know, rallying for us. And to be honest, like I was having a hard time myself. I knew it was something I wanted to do. I just like, I wanted there to be a reason why people didn't live that way. So every time something went wrong, you know, I would like complain or be like, okay, well, you should probably just go back to an apartment now. And my boyfriend at the time, Greg, was really patient. He'd be like, well, you know, why don't we come up with like a solution for that? And like, why don't we work through that? But like for the first month, I just pretty much like fought him on everything and didn't enjoy it. That sounds super pleasant being in a small space (laughs) with you during your first month. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why he stuck it out after that. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, after about a month, And also, like I said, I mean, that was a big deal going from 1,000 to 140 square feet. We didn't have running water. We were composting our food and our waste. We were also, like, very limited on electricity. We had one plug that we could use at any given time, and it would max out if you tried to run something, you know, of a high voltage. And so, yeah, I mean, that felt like a big shift. Uh, Now it doesn't, but... (laughs) But at the time, it really felt like a big deal. Um, This camper trailer was also not luxurious. I mean, it was not. It was a 1969 camper trailer. Like, nothing was restored in it. It was all original cabinets and cushions and everything. Not very well insulated. And we moved in in October. And in November, polar vortex came through Colorado. And temperatures got really unpleasant and cold and we hadn't finished insulating the camper. And so, I mean, there's just like a lot of like, don't move into a not well insulated space in the winter and then like think that you're going to just enjoy it. Or at least, you know, if you're someone who likes to be warm, that's not really a great experience. So one of our friends had a old VW van on their property 
And I just, I had read a book just talking, I think, I guess they had taken like the VW van, like on a road trip. And for some reason, it's almost like the equivalent of like, whenever people think of RVing, they think, oh, I I need to get an Airstream. It's sexy. It's cool. Uh, And I think people kind of almost think the same thing with VW van. I don't know if they do. We did. But then also I started realizing some of the practicalness around the VW van. Just everyone talked about they're super hard to work on. They're constantly breaking down. And then I just started looking at my strengths, none of which is being mechanically savvy whatsoever. And I'm just like, yeah, that's probably not a great idea for me to go live in one of these. Yeah, yeah. It's been really interesting. Like my Toyota van right now, I've had to learn how to be my own mechanic, which has been really fun. And I would encourage a lot of people to do that. But yeah, you also have to just like step outside your comfort zone all the time when you're driving an old vehicle or living out of an old vehicle, right? Because I mean, it's just you know, it's built differently and it's, you know, maybe it's not well insulated or, you know, it's just doesn't have all the luxuries that maybe some of the newer vehicles have. So yeah, you just have to be comfortable with the fact that something might go wrong and you have to be comfortable. Like also, like if you're going to do this lifestyle in the winter and in cold, cold places, like, you know, I don't know. I think that's super commendable because I just did it for a month in Colorado. It was really cold out. I don't really (laughs) have the best insulation. My kitchen requires me to be outside. And after about a month, I was like, I think I've had enough. Like I would, (laughs) I want to go somewhere warmer and escape that. And I know I could get a little heater or whatever, but I was also just trying to test my own, (laughs) my own resilience. Yeah. And I, I clearly can't do it for that long. But yeah, it's just really interesting. I think that's like kind of goes along with what we've been talking about, right? Is like everything kind of shifts your perspective, right? Like, I mean, going from this Toyota van to, you know, my camper trailer, I'm like, wow, my camper trailer is really luxurious or wow. (laughs) Like I was just in my friends, Emily and Corey of where's my office now. And they have a VW van and their van has heat and also is a little bit roomier than my Toyota van. And I, we, there was four of us sitting inside of it eating dinner with the heat, the heat on. And I was <laughs> like, man, I just feel like I'm living like a queen in here, yeah. you know, versus a lot yeah. of people would, you know, not, that would not be their idea of a good time. So no, I get it. It's super, super interesting. Yeah. I, so it's kind of a non sequitur a little bit, but uh, you brought up your friends, Corey and, and Emily. Yep. Corey and Emily. I remember this potentially could be like a touchy subject, but it was one of those things that affected, I guess, kind of a, quite a bit of people because there hadn't been really like a mainstream conversation about like van or RV living. And I'm presuming you saw like, I think it was about Corey and Emily who uh, in the article in the New Yorker, was that them? Yeah. So I read that article and I just remember feeling like, wow, that person kind of, they took a, a not great approach for how they kind of portrayed people who who have partnerships and work with brands because you know like we do that that kind of work sometimes with brands you know like we'll do a giveaway like we'll do partnerships and things like that so i'm just kind of curious like from your standpoint like when you read it like what was your feeling on how they kind of portrayed van life and rv life and people who have part i don't know it just seemed like kind of yeah. a dismal dismal thing Yeah, it's actually a pretty interesting story because I read that article before I really met them. I think that article came out like like over like maybe a year ago or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I read it and I was like, ugh. (laughs) like I remember just thinking, 
gosh, I don't know about Emily and Corey. Like, you know, there was a quote in there from Corey about how, you know, shots like of her in a bikini ba- might bathing do suit better. performed well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, there were just pictures of her um, posing with product. And they talked a lot about influencer marketing. And if you read the article and you didn't have much of anything else besides the article to go off of, which is pretty much what everybody is doing when they're reading the article, you're probably going to feel, I mean, you could feel a couple of different things. And like, you could feel a little bit like, like the van community could feel a little bit taken aback, like, Hey, we're not all doing it for influencer marketing. Like, Hey, like that's not representing all of us. Or some people are like, good on you guys for being able to support yourselves. So I saw kind of that conversation starting. And when I met up with them for the first time, I actually asked Emily point blank. I said, you know, I just saw your article. It kind of like, I don't know how I feel. Can we talk about it? And she was super open to chatting about it. And she told me some things that, you know, just you don't you don't really get to get to know if you if you don't know them. So one thing was that the you know, the person who wrote the article spent a week with them in their van, sleeping in their van. Now, again, this is not like a huge space. Yeah. (laughs) So to invite somebody into your home, I don't even know if I could do it. (laughs) Um, Who's going to sleep? in your space and travel with you for a week that you've never met before. And also who's going to study your lifestyle. That's a pretty intimate thing to allow someone into your, to your life like that. Um, so they did that and they took this, the lady that interviewed them, they took her to hot springs. They took her to national forest. They went hiking. Um, they did yoga. They did all these things together. And at one point the lady said, well, tell me how you guys, um, do one of your Instagram posts. And they were like, oh, well, you know, we probably won't be doing that right now. And she's like, well, can we spend the next like 10 minutes? Show me how you would like set up one. Show me how, you know, what goes through your process. And basically, and you know, for the next 10, 30 minutes, that's what she took and wrote her piece about. So didn't really include, you know, everything else that they did in that week or what they're really about um, and kind of push them to, to set up a brand post and push them to talk about some stuff related to influencer marketing. And, you know, that's just any, any journalist, right. Has a agenda for what they want to discuss or what their topic is. And that's what happened. And so, yeah, I think it's just pretty interesting because, you know, I talked to them about it and I still felt really rubbed the wrong way. And then I worked on a farm with Emily and Corey in California for two months, and I got pretty close to them. Um, We were all, there's just like seven van lifers living on this farm, and we became kind of like a family. And then after that trip ended, um, we were like, well, what if we went down to Baja together? And again, I was still like, I don't know about these two. Like, am I going to be able to travel with them? Like, I don't know. Um, So I was thinking about backing out. And then I was like, well, I mean, how could you say no to Baja? Like, and especially with people that have done it before. And it was down in Baja that we just all, like, we bonded so much. And I I mean, it was something, it's something crazy too, when you're kind of like resisting. (laughs) I don't think this is really happening, happened much in my life. But, you know, most of the time you meet someone, you're like, cool, instant connection. That's my friend. (laughs) But with them, like it was a slow process where I was 
you know, just had some trust issues and just had some things where I, you know, was really basing them off of like Instagram and articles without getting to know them. And I think that that's like pretty damaging to do to people. You know, right now we all have this social presence where we put ourselves out there and, you know, we have websites and blogs and things and, you know, people feel like they really know us and they, they feel like, oh, that's someone I can connect with. That's someone I can't. I think that's like a good thing, but a bad thing because you don't really know someone, I think, until you really have an in-person connection and you really have those deep conversations and you put all that other stuff aside and you get to know who they really are. And I think we should do that more often, to tell you the truth. I just think that we are in this culture now that like we're in this digital world and everything revolves around, you know, using our phones and social and we lose the ability to really talk to one another and to really connect in a real way. So anyway, that just kind of made me think think a little bit more about that and makes me want to spend more of my time hosting these van life gatherings where people can have, you know, in-person connections and what makes me really want to shift a little bit away from social and website stuff to really, um, you know, encourage people to have that realness and rawness. You know, I think there's things that, that we can benefit from, from really being together in a space, putting our phones away. I love that. It's deep stuff, Kathleen. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you probably thought the same thing when uh, we first, like I first reached out to you at one point, I think that was before Buena Vista. You're like, who's this guy, Jagaloon, living in an RV, you know, like (laughs) probably run his generator 24 seven and you know, what a, no, I'm kidding, but you may be, I don't know, (laughs) but it's just kind of, it is interesting. And I, I can empathize with totally both sides of the coin because to some extent it's like Instagram's a fun platform to kind of hate on. Um, especially for people that aren't that good at it, like me, you know, because it's like you, you can kind of talk about like, well, is this authentic is not authentic. But then on the other side of it, from like a business perspective, you're looking at like, here's the value that's being provided. You create a community of people who are interested in a given subject and naturally marketers will come in and find ways to exploit sounds like a dirty, nasty word. I'm not trying to use that word, but you know, take advantage and not necessarily in a bad way, but just like leverage, maybe that's a better word, leverage a community and still provide value. You know, like for instance, I know Van Life Diaries does a lot of uh, partnerships with brands and you know, uh, there's a water bottle company that I think you guys work with. What are they called? Hydroflies. Hydroflies. Yeah. Kyle loves it. He talks about them. I've seen them. They're really cool. So it's like, Everyone kind of wins in that scenario. It's like you you snap a picture of your hydro flask in a cool place and, you know, it's it's something that you use that you like. The company gets exposure. You guys uh, will get paid for posts and things like that. And so, like, there's value being provided all the way around. So it's like I, I totally get it all the way around. But I also get, you know, kind of some of that feeling of like, oh, you know, but how did, how I think the the conversation maybe skews towards like, well, how can it be done in an authentic way? Because in some regards, Instagram is is real, but it's also more it's also closer to like a magazine, too. I don't know. So it's just like it's an interesting kind of question to pose. Right. Totally. But this this word authentic, I think, is is getting thrown around and we are assuming that things are authentic in our own view of the world. So we are like putting, uh, we're putting up these barriers and we're looking at something going, that's authentic, that's not authentic, you know, or that 
that's not real, blah, blah, blah. Like that person's full of crap or yeah, maybe they're not. (laughs) And I think like Emily and Corey are a perfect example of, you know, you see these pictures of, you know, I don't know, there's pictures of her running around without any clothes or, you know, things that make you feel uncomfortable and things that you might say are not authentic. You know, you just look at it and you're like, oh, they're just doing that for the likes or the followers or things like that. But then you get to know Emily and she does really run around. I mean, like she feels comfortable in her own skin to do that. And and then it's like, you know, you take a step back and you're like, why do I feel uncomfortable with that? Why why am I saying that that's not authentic when that's actually authentic for her? That is her life. That is what she's doing. Why would I you know, it just creates kind of this conversation, right? Like, why should she put on clothes for a photo if she spends the whole day? being in nature in a remote spot. And that's her, her way of expressing herself, her way of being wild and connecting to the earth. And then she's creating her art, right? It's something that we all just need to, I think, have more respect and more empathy for people like that and people that are outside of our comfort zone. And we can't paint this picture that like, people on Instagram are gonna like, meet like all these check marks for us. And they Um, you know, if they were stray or get too raw or get too real, like, oh my gosh, can't follow them anymore because that's not authentic anymore. When it's like, we all are learning about ourselves and we're all transforming into new people. We're we're changing all the time. So yeah, I just think that that's like a very interesting conversation that a lot of people like have their own ideas of, of what they, um, what they think is authentic. And they also, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are working nine to five jobs and Instagram is there. I mean, social media is like escapism, right? So people are using it as a way to get away from like what their life, what they're doing in their life. You know, they're like getting on there and they're like, okay, I want to like escape into this world. And so they're looking for these accounts to follow that they're like, Ooh, you know, this couple's living the dream. I want to follow them. Um, you know, cause I want to live their life. But like, these are real people, you know, they have struggles and you're only seeing, you know, one side of the coin. So I just think it's a good reminder that, you know, we just have to try, I think, to just be a little less judgmental and like, really, I think just, again, getting to know someone on a personal level is just so much more powerful. And that way you can form your own opinion without just like an opinion from social media or, yeah. Other you can have you can have empathy and all and I feel like that's kind of the theme of this conversation. Which, by the way, this is by far one hundred percent the least business podcast I've ever recorded in the hundred twenty. <laughs> but I think it's okay because really? it's oh t- absolutely and um. But I think that's okay because to a certain extent, you know, this is a cool conversation that I think is fun. And if people are, in, you know, not everyone who listens to this podcast is even interested in RVing. So some people may have already skipped next already, but that's, it's totally okay. I just think it's an interesting facet and different type of travel in, in, in different communities. And, and the thing that I'm taking away from everything that I'm hearing you talk about is, it's just to kind of be less judgmental. Oh, oh, the value of opening up a conversation and having a conversation in a world that sometimes seems foreign is always a good thing to do. Because we do live in a world very much where it's like we get mad over things that we actually know very little about. Um, and so the more that you open up and – and I think that comes back around to just travel in general. 
it's like you can have perceptions of people in different parts of the world who think differently, believe differently. But when you actually go visit them and, and interact with them, you re- you're like, okay, well, we're actually all pretty similar. People are mostly good. And all these judgments that I maybe had about a certain person kind of get washed away the more that you open up and have conversations. Totally. And if you want to live on the road, live on the road in an RV or live <laughs> on the road in a van, like whatever. And, Do you. you know, park next to someone in a van and like tell, you know, if you're in an RV and be like, hey, like we're not all that bad. You know, <laughs> I don't need to run my generator tonight. Like, let's all sit by the fire and, you know, vice versa. So, yeah, just coming together a little bit more, I think, is so important. Breaking down those barriers, breaking down stereotypes is is really powerful. Yeah, love it. A few kind of rapid fire questions for you here at the end, Kathleen. Uh, we've already kind of went over what RV you chose and why. And I'm going to skip over the business one because we didn't really dig into that. But what's your favorite place that you've traveled to in the past year that most people have never heard of? Oh my gosh, favorite place. That's so hard. How does anyone answer that question? No one has. It's only the second time I've asked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Favorite place first. I mean, there's that so many... nobody's ever heard of. Have nobody's you... ever heard of. Yeah. Have you traveled somewhere Ooh. in your in your like just like a small town and like something stuck out to you? Um, okay, maybe not favorite, but I really like Crestone, Colorado. <laughs> it's this small town outside of the sand dunes in Colorado that has this energy. Um, I can't remember how many spiritual centers it, it has, but it has like over like 150 spiritual centers and it's a really small town. What's a spiritual center? Um, like either a temple or some sort of like um, structure where you can come together and practice. Um, they have different like religious practices out there. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of it's like Buddhist centered, but mostly it's just like good energy and, you know, just, um, being connected to the earth and things like that. So it's just a small little town, uh, tucked away at, at, in the beautiful Sangre de Cristo mountains. And it's, you just always feel like some good energy when you leave there because people are really nice and want to get to know you and your story. And sometimes you have a hard time leaving. It's like one of those places that you like go and you're like sitting at a coffee shop and you get to talking to someone. You're like, wow, I was only going to come here for like 30 minutes <laughs> to an hour. And now it's like 6 p.m. And now there's a, a band playing at the brewery. Like, oh, shoot, I guess <laughs> I'll just be here a little bit longer. <laughs> I will say that it that's one thing that I'm really excited about. Like we're going from our 33 foot motorhome to an 18 foot rig for the next couple months. And I, I watch our friend Kyle's Instagram stories and, you know, he'll like roll into a random town, park on the street, you know, run into a bar, maybe stay there and then just like sleep there in a random spot. And so like, I'm excited for a little bit more of that spot in 80 that we really haven't been able to do as much in a bigger rig. So I think that's another interesting, like pretty obvious difference between like styles of travel that I'm kind of excited for. Okay. Back to the rapid fire questions. Uh, what's your go-to meal in the van? Ooh, um, go to me I've been really I've been really good about cooking lately which is something I didn't start being good at in this lifestyle but I really like quinoa and eggs <laughs> so in the mornings I'll just make some quinoa throw some eggs on there throw some like avocado uh throw some like sesame oil or coconut amigo maminos um some spices and just kind of throw it all together it's pretty hearty and last you till lunch and you can definitely make that for dinner or a different variation for dinner you can just make some quinoa throw some like brussels sprouts and tahini on there and 
basically having quinoa or rice or any kind of grain and just adding it to your meal is, is pretty awesome. And grain keeps pretty well um, <laughs> in a van. So it's nice to carry that stuff with you. Love it. What's your favorite app that you're currently using? Ooh, I've kind of deleted a lot of apps, to tell you the <laughs> truth. <laughs> kind of trying to shy away from all that. But I still use iOverlander a ton to find cool spots to, to camp for the night. Oh, very cool. So that's what you use. It kind of shows you locations and places that you can go overland camp. Yeah. Have you ever, you've probably not used it, I'm guessing, but no. it's kind of like freecampsites.net or okay. any camp other. Camp or something like that. Yeah. Just shows you, um, you don't have to have like a four by four rig or anything like that. It just shows you a lot of like free BLM land or wild camping spots. So it's pretty nice for van life to camp for free. Sweet. Well, uh, last question for you is, uh, and I ask this in each episode, but what does success look like for you, both in your new career as you are doing a lot of these partnerships and freelancing on the road, uh, creating content for brands and traveling in a van? Oh, man. Success is getting through each day, <laughs> I think, <laughs> in a lot of ways. I think and also just being happy and optimistic and putting out good energy. Success for me is no longer about money. It's just about being the best person I can be and, and just educating others and forming a community. Yeah, I think just success has definitely changed throughout the last three years. Um, but I think like the, the less money I have, the happier I am. And I've somehow been able to make it work. I don't know how sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, just uh, focusing on the things that are important to me and, you know, always being true to myself. I love it. Where can people connect with you online, Kathleen? So I'm on Instagram at tinyhousetinyfootprint. I also help with Van Life Diaries, um, which is Van Life Diaries on Instagram. You can also go to tinyhousetinyfootprint.com or Van Life Diaries, which is vanlife.co.au. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Kathleen. Yeah. Thanks, Heath. I really enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to grab the show notes, head on over to heathandalissa.com and click on podcast. All the links and everything we mentioned in this episode are over there. I uh, always love hearing from y'all in iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, reviews are amazing and they seriously help power this podcast uh, because getting in there and seeing the encouragement from you guys is, is incredible. And if there's anything you want to hear on the podcast, feel free to drop it in a note on Instagram, Twitter, at Heath and Alyssa. And uh, I will see you guys next time on the RB Entrepreneur Podcast.